Welcome to the Dive Podcast, presented by Willamette Week, where every Saturday we discuss the biggest news stories of the week with Portland's noisiest newsmakers, savviest culturistas, and some of the best journalists in the game. I'm your host, Brianna Wheeler, and I want to hear from you. So send your questions and comments to me, bwheeler at wweek.com. All right, y'all, enjoy the show. What happens to untrustworthy cops? And who gets to decide who is and who isn't an untrustworthy cop? And why would we, as citizens of Portland, want to keep untrustworthy police people in their positions, which, across the board, require a staggering amount of public trust in the first place? How can we, as citizens, hold our police force accountable for officers that we personally know to be questionable, if not downright unhinged, These are the questions that I was left with after reading The Odd Squad, my guest Lucas Manfield's cover story for this week's paper. Lucas and I will discuss, dissect, and disseminate a document called The Brady List, a Supreme Court-ordered list of police that district attorneys keep in order to classify cops who can no longer be trusted to testify. Portland claims it doesn't keep such a list, but shared something instead called a Potential Impeachment Disclosure Index, And the criteria with which cops land on this cannot testify list is, oh my God, eccentric. It's Saturday, August 13th, and this is episode 84 of The Dive. I think a lot of Portlanders know that we need a structural reset, especially after PPD's showing during the 2020 George Floyd protests. This next election cycle will ideally deliver a new, more functional form of city government, which will then impact how PPD is managed. Now, in the meantime, one must wonder, if cops can't be trusted in the courtroom, how are we supposed to trust them in the streets? Spoiler, we don't. Lucas and I will unpack his discoveries in just a moment, but first... Here's a few things that I learned from this week's edition of Willamette Week. A fire destroyed the historic Roseway Theater on August 6th. An investigation into the cause is ongoing. But y'all, please pour one out tonight for the 97-year-old stunner of a movie theater. The Roseway Hood will miss it deeply. Rachel Bristol, Tina Kotek's former boss at the Oregon Food Bank is endorsing Betsy Johnson over Kotek this fall. Her reasoning is that she yearns for the statesmen and stateswomen of eras gone by, which, if you're up on your Oregon history, is not the endorsement that she seems to think it is. Robert Hamm reports a renaissance is occurring for the Lloyd Center as small businesses who lost their brick and mortars in the midst of the pandemic relocate to the iconic shopping center. Musique Plastique is one such store. Long live the Lloyd Center. Now, let's get into some borderline controversial cop talk with Lucas Manfield. I want to tell you that I really, um, I don't know if enjoyed is the right word. I was very captivated (laughs) by this piece. Um, I thought it was super enlightening. Um, because of the stuff that you cover, but also because of the stuff that you couldn't cover. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. No, for sure. That's a very good point. I agree. I, uh, 
the most interesting parts are not in that story. The the cover story this week is called The Odd Squad, um, but the premise, uh, it starts with something called The Brady List. So what is a Brady List? Great question. Well, first of all, the story ended up not being about a Brady List because they refused to call it a Brady List and <laughs> successfully convinced us that it was not a Brady List. Basically, in 1963, there was a Supreme Court decision that was, I mean, super groundbreaking decision. And it, it basically said something that we probably all think is obvious now, that if you are, you know, if you're a defendant going to trial and the state has evidence that they have evidence that you didn't do what they're accusing you of doing, they have to hand that evidence over. And apparently this was not, you know, a set principle prior to 1963. But wow. 1963 made it, you know... The Supreme Court said you got to do that. But fundamentally, the way that ties into Brady lists is that Brady lists are essentially, if you have a police officer, for example, who has a history of planting evidence, Mm. that would, and you know, that police officer is testifying at trial and you are a defendant that is, you know, accused of having drugs in your car. The fact that that police officer has a history of planting evidence would be considered exculpatory evidence that a judge would probably want to be given you know, the defense attorneys at trial, yeah. because that is something the jury should know, right? And so the Brady List was essentially a way for prosecutors to flag people that had histories, you know, historically of lying, right? That's kind of what Brady List became synonymous with. You know, the reason that, the, that the, both the police and the district attorney in Portland, you know, don't want this called a Brady List is that, I mean, frankly, a lot of Oregon law essentially requires and like ethics require that the um, prosecutors essentially include anyone that has a criminal conviction on the list. So there's cops that you know have DUIs. It's not like they have credibility issues. It's not like they've planted evidence. They have a DUI. Yeah. And so in that sense, they are not traditionally someone you would associate with being on a Brady list. Mm-hmm. Once an accusation is made against an officer, how is it substantiated? Oh, that's a great question. Well, see, that this is a whole other story that we didn't even get into. But I would say the police oversight is probably one of the biggest issues. One of the biggest issues probably in the criminal justice system in Portland right now. Yeah. Um, I mean, you have the federal Department of Justice has been involved in the city for like eight years. And one of their main complaints is that the oversight system doesn't work. Yeah. Um, the, um, they're, they're totally remaking the system and they're attempting to remake the system. And the DOJ and the uh, city leaders have basically come to agreement that they're going to try to remake the system. Um, mm-hmm. Whether that actually happens, I think is going to be they basically have a committee that's trying to reformulate what a reform of that system would look like. Mm. And then it's going to be up to a vote about whether that happens. So basically we're, we're going to find out a lot more in the next year, how this system is going to work in the future. The way it works right now is that, you know, the, there's an internal affairs division inside the police, and they basically go through complaints and investigate them. And if they conclude that there is charges like that they think something bad might have happened then it triggers this whole extremely long process everyone gets involved you know the chief gets involved an external it's not really civilian but like the IBR which is like independent police review can get involved there's now a civilian board that can get involved um, and then the union the union by far seems to have the most power out of yeah. anyone because no matter what everyone else says the union can essentially file a grievance go to arbitration. And what we've seen over and over again is that at arbitration, you know, it doesn't matter who set, who sustained those allegations, that can be overruled by the arbitration. What do these Brady lists look like in other cities? 
Yeah, yeah. So like we we got Denver's list, and Denver had a list of three hundred people on it. But like the first thing I noticed when I got that list was that you know it's kind of like an Excel spreadsheet, and there were a lot of people on that list that had unsubstantiated findings. And so what that means is that the Denver um, district attorney was basically deciding that we're going to keep a list of everyone, even accused liars, and that's very different than the way or like. Portland has historically done it is that there's a lot of cops that have had been accused of lying and were not found, you know, by the bureau to have officially, they didn't substantiate that accusation and they're not on the list. So in that case, the list is very different. Um, Another big difference. And like, this is historically what people think of a Brady list is a Brady list is like a list of cops that will never be able to testify at trial. Multnomah, I think I want to say one of the neighboring counties, I think it's Washington County, has a list like that, mm-hmm. where it's a, it's a list of once you're on the list, prosecutors are never going to call you to trial. Yeah. Um, and then most famously, Philadelphia kept a rather long list of people that it was never going to call to trial. And, you know, the, the DA here has made very clear that I really there's no one on this list that the DA says it would never call to trial. Um, these are people that the DA says it might, you know, call to testify. But, you know would maybe need to release additional information about them if they did. Mm -hmm. So Portland's effectively saying, or I guess the DA's office is saying that there is, we don't have a Brady list. We don't need a Brady list. Our cops are so outstanding and amazing. Yeah. I mean, I mean, they didn't say that. Um, I don't think anyone, I, I mean, it's an interesting thing to think about, right? Because if there was no one on the list, that could mean two things. It could mean that the cops don't do anything wrong, or it could mean that we simply haven't tried to figure out if they've done anything wrong. And Mm -hmm. like, I don't think I was, I certainly wasn't able in this story to say one way or the other, but I also think, you know, readers can come to their own conclusions about which one of those they think is true. Um, And uh, certainly a lot of people we talked to were surprised how short the list was. I mean, like when I talked to the president of the police union, this is exactly his point, right? I mean, like, he's maybe looking to look at it differently than, you know, other people might look at it. Like he's coming at it obviously from a, you know, a, a perspective, but like his perspective is like, yeah, a DUI is not that, I mean, it's bad, but like, it's not when people are accusing the cops of horrible things, getting a DUI is not usually one of the lists. On yeah. the list. um, so his point was like, look, this is not a list of horrible cops. Don't make it sound like a list of horrible cops. Yeah. Regardless, I mean, he's not saying there are horrible cops. I'm not saying there are horrible cops. But if you are assuming there is a list of horrible cops out there, this is not that list. Gotcha. Um, And that's kind of the context they they really want to get out there. And, you know, I I agree. I mean, like, you got to understand what this list is. I still think it's interesting. um, Totally. Yeah. 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 This list, this potential, this potential impeachment disclosure index, it's not a Brady list. Uh, so there's only 33 names on the list. Four uh, policemen you profiled, three still on duty. Yeah, one so, of them retired while I was reporting it, so it kind of couldn't help Is that um, correlation, causation? Was it just happenstance? Oh, I think it was totally, I mean, I, I can't say definitively one way or the other, but I'm pretty sure it was uh, just totally a coincidence. Um, so let's talk about Andrew Kaspar. Why is he on this list? Yeah, this is definitely the funniest story. Um, uh, basically, it was a whole thing a couple of years ago. It was reported on extensively, but basically the gist of it is that he 
he responded to a call late and then told onlookers that he couldn't chase a suspect because of the quote-unquote Obama administration. <laughs> um, which is just hilarious, like, for on the surface of it. But then, like, became more hilarious because, like, like this made it all the way to arbitration. Like, the, the Portland police fired him for it. They were like, you know, this is... They didn't necessarily fire him for lying. They fired him for a pattern of dishonesty. Hmm. Uh, and then fired him for essentially being lazy. I mean, not doing his job. He, he basically waited 15 minutes before responding to a call. But the arbitrator overruled and kept him. And the arbitrator, you know, kind of went on this, like, it's a really interesting arbitration document because, like, he breaks down very specifically, you know, all the ways that you could determine if the officer wasn't lying in that situation. Or, like, he was, he just basically painted, like, the most favorable picture of what was going through the officer's head you know, that caused him to wait 15 minutes and then, you know, blame the Obama administration <laughs> for his job. Um, so, yeah, he's still in the force, um, still being paid. He took, I think he had, like, two-year leave of absence, like, during the investigation, but mm -hmm. he's back. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of a, yeah, it's a funny story. <laughs> Was there anything in any of that um, arbitration data that, what what was this pattern of dishonesty? Are there records of this pattern of Oh dishonesty? yeah, I mean so the the biggest thing that came out of me that they're so basically, you know, they asked him, they're like, why did it take you fifteen minutes to get there? And the arbitrator agreed that it was a statement of fact that he basically told a another officer, his trainee essentially, that he needed to go to the bathroom before they left. So that was a big reason for the delay. And then the trainee testified that he basically told him you know, uh, if we wait long enough, the problem will go away. Um, that was testified by the other officer, you know, yeah. so like, uh, but I think his, I think the, well, first of all, one of the facts that the police bureau found too, is that, you know, he, when they asked him, you know, why did it take you so long? He kind of alluded, he didn't specifically blame traffic, but he's like, I don't remember, but I will say that, you know, heavy traffic could have been one of the problems. Right. Um, and of course, that was a dumb thing to say because the, there are GPS trackers. Yeah. <laughs> and, and again, he should have known this. Yes. Right? And traffic I mean, cameras everywhere. So they checked the GPS trackers and they're like, no, I mean, it would be like a minute to drive there. Like that was not a traffic issue. So that was, you know, one thing they cited for the pattern. Of the Another, the other officer I want to talk about, well, I'm going to talk about all three of them. Um, Brian Hubbard. So the fact that a DUI will get you on this list, I think felt kind of absurd considering what Portlanders have seen of our police bureau with our own eyes. Um, yeah. So uh, it, reading through Hubbard's story, it made me think that if something as common as um, a DUI can preclude an officer from testifying, like there should be so many more names on this list. Yeah, and I mean, this is, I mean, basically the reason DUIs get you on the list is that if an officer is convicted for a crime, that's automatic inclusion. Mm -hmm. there's, a, there's not really any argument. You end up on the list. And DUIs are a, I mean, it's not like, it's not like Portland, I, I mean, I'm not gonna say Portland police officers are more likely to get a DUI than the rest of the population. It's just like a criminal conviction that people get, right? And it's bad, of course, but you know, it, it's, yeah, officers have gotten them. Um, and so that's how they end up on the list. I mean, you know, as we've seen, officers 
can use extreme amounts of violence, they can shoot people, and they cannot be convicted of a crime. So, like, it, it you know, that, that that's obviously a big debate, um, and, and, you know, that's kind of why, you know, DUIs get to criminal conviction. Excessive violence does not always get there. Um, okay, so the third active duty cop on this list, John Shadron, was found to have committed gross misconduct for chasing a former romantic partner through traffic and then injuring a driver while drunk. Now this police policy committee votes unanimously to keep him on the force. I guess this is just kind of like circling around what we were just talking about, like. Yeah, and I mean, what's interesting, so I mean, this is essentially another DUI case. Right? Yeah. And I think what's interesting, I mean, again, I alluded to this earlier, I don't know if we're gonna cut that or not, but that like, you know, there's a huge amount of information we collected that's not in the story. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, you can take any of these officers and do your own research. And I know many people do because I see them tweeting about it. Yeah. Like, you know, there is substantial amounts of misconduct allegations that are going to that are surrounding a lot of these officers. Right. Um, we didn't necessarily write about it in this story because we really wanted to focus on the reasons they got on the list. Yeah. Um, but I will say that, like, you know, they're the occasionally it bubbles up and it gets to the state certification board and as conviction for a DUII is one of those things in bad cert like i think in this case the certification board said they were reviewing it not just because it was a DUII, but because reckless driving was involved the i think the oregonian did a big investigation on this a few years ago in that the certification board almost never revert like you know, revokes a certification almost never mm-hmm. um, and so in terms of as a as a la- layer of accountability it's not a very strong one one could say mm-hmm. um, and so yeah I mean generally what happens in like all of these cases that I reviewed that went through the board is like the board reviews it you know the chief sends a glowing letter of praise um, and in some cases I think it was I can't remember if it was or Hubbard's case they wrote a very apologetic letter um and uh you know the board reviews it and is like you know i don't think this is enough to because if you revoke certification you're not only costing them their job you're essentially costing them their entire livelihood because they're never going to be able to get another cop job in the state i will say this i mean i don't you know you look at the misconduct that you know we documented the active officers and a few other people and the misconduct that got them on the list and i will say that you know i don't think people would say that a DUI or being lazy, which mm. is you know, essentially why one of them got a request, or you know being kind of like a loudmouth is kind of why another one got a request. Um, I don't think people would say those are the worst things. I don't think anyone would say that. I don't even think you know no one's going to say that. Mm-mm. And so I think that was the interesting thing is that we I really thought going in that this was going to be a list of like you know the worst of the worst of the Portland police. And I think it is certainly not that, but you know, again, I mean, it's not like I, you know, I can't say that I've gone out and found the worst of the worst of the Portland police. So I don't, maybe they don't exist. My final question is always uh, what was left out of this piece. Um, so it turns out that, and we, we wrote this in there that like anyone can essentially submit a name for to be added to the list. And that is literally true. So, like, you know, you could go out and submit someone to the list, uh, which I think is obviously something that people do not, you know, it's not widely known. 
to uh, uh, to the Brady so, list or to a potential impeachment disclosure index potential list? Potential impeachment disclosure list. So okay. you just you, you tell the district attorney's office, I think this person deserves to be on the list, and you would probably need to provide a substantial amount of documentation. Why? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, it's uh, in theory the list because that was that was part of one of the things that the district attorney's office, you know, that they were really stressing is that like, you know, they're not going out and trying to find people to add the list. They really rely on investigatory organizations to kind of send them evidence of misconduct, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe some of those people on Twitter can, you know, send all their evidence of misconduct about cops straight to the DA and, you know, we'll see what happens. Whoa, <laughs> and then the dam breaks loose. Uh-oh. Thanks to my guest today, Lucas Manfield. And thank you for joining me. I hope you'll join me again next week. Until then, bye.